0: Hi everyone, my name is Fiona Hardy and I'm talking to Paul F. Verhoeven, author of Loose Units, published by Penguin. Also joining me here today is my colleague, Deborah Crabtree. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Paul. Hello. <laughs> so, Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Um. could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Oh, God, where do we start? <laughs> um. My entire career, as well as myself, have... Pretty serious ADD. I tend to just run at shiny things. And as a result, <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I started at Triple J. I'm a kids' TV host on the ABC. Um, I've been on a whole bunch of stuff. I currently write for ABC News online. Right. Um, and obviously, now apparently I'm a crime writer.
2: Mm, yes. Which is not where I saw myself <laughs> at all, um, which is
1: great. Uh, it is interesting to note that my dad had a similarly erratic career path. Um, so whilst I went towards journalism and the arts and stuff like that, but sort of just literally any gig you threw at me, like I, I covered Spring Fashion, sorry, I covered Melbourne Fashion Week the other mm. week. Um, I just sort of do stuff that takes my fancy and that sort of defined my whole tr- career trajectory my dad um was an apprentice toolmaker then he was a cop then he was a private investigator then he was a firefighter then he was uh one of the heads of security at the sydney opera house now he's an antique dealer
0: and there was a funeral home operator was there at some point in oh home? i totally forgot <laughs> the funeral. yeah he was uh, running a funeral home with yes. mum
1: which yes. again as uh, as my editor pointed out <laughs> would make a pretty decent book in and of yes. itself right. but, but yeah that is one thing dad and i have in common um our resumes are frustrating and dense. Excellent. <laughs> yeah.
0: I did notice um, early in the book you say, uh, even then I like to imbue everything I did with a sense of needless intrigue about a, uh, something you did when you were seven and um, like taking a torch into your parents' cupboard. Yeah. And um, I was wondering if, yeah, so you, did, you didn't have any vision that eventually you would be a crime writer. You're like, this is part of my crime career.
1: I always wanted to write a book mm. uh, because I always liked mm. books. I actually held off from reading them um, because they were too slow. Like I wanted narrative. No, 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 no. Um, and my grandmother um, was an English teacher on the northern beaches, and she would uh, she grabbed me by the ear one day, I think in first grade potentially, and made me sit around after the school had closed in the classroom just binging books. And then the MS readathon came up, and I was reading 20, 30 books in a week, like just going absolutely nuts. Um, I think because I got to a certain point and I just wanted to sort of do that. I wanted to have something printed in book form. In no way did I think I was going to be a crime writer. (laughs) And in no way did I think I was going to write about Dad because it just sort of never occurred to me. Like, I... and plus, he never told me a lot of this stuff. So I had no idea the depths to which these stories would go.
2: So can we, can we go back a little bit to, you know, why you came to writing about your dad? Do you yeah. know that, that sort of little intrigue as a, as a kid where you're climbing the walls like Spider-Man and, you know, you, you see something that gives you nightmares? Yes. Yeah. Can, can we go back to that and, and how you got to the point where you went, I need to talk to Dad and how, how that process worked. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, yeah, the book starts out with me as a little kid stumbling upon boxes of case files and crime scene photographs and two photographs in particular of a very violent crime scene which involved uh, a body being burned. Um, and I sort of stumbled upon these two glossy mm. photographs. Um, and I didn't realise this, but sometimes stuff sort of sits in your subconscious and then starts eating away at you later. Yeah. Yeah. I hit about 35... Uh, I was approaching my mid-30s a couple of years back and I started to have not a quarter-life crisis. I don't know what fraction 35 is, but I (laughs) I started to feel... For some reason, my brain imbued it with more meaning than it probably deserved, and I started to get a bit like, where am I career-wise? What's Mm. going on with my life? Um, And then I started thinking about where Dad was at that point in his life, and he'd been given... He was given a medal by the mayor of Sydney for resuscitating a woman back from being clinically dead for three or four minutes.
0: (laughs) I mean, your dad is a hero. He's literally... (laughs) Yeah, he is, like,
1: literally man of action hero, um... And I started to really do some hard and fast comparisons between the two of us, you know, professional video game critic and man who was in car chases every second day.
0: It helps no one else in this room has a medal for resuscitating anyone either.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think many people do, but I I grew up with this guy in my house. And so I started to kind of start comparing the two of us. And then I started having um, sort of flashbacks and nightmares about these photographs and I you know how you get a song stuck in your head? Mm. And until you finish singing yeah. the song or figure out who sang it, you can't actually get it out of your head. So I went to Dad to talk to him about, you know, the comparative thing, but then ostensibly I started going, like, what was that case? What were those photos? Because I just want to get—I want to purge these memories out of my head. And Dad, because he's a natural-born show-off and storyteller, was like, well, let's go back to the very beginning mm. because context is very important. Um, and then what transpired was you know, a very long-winded but enjoyable race towards this one specific case. So the book ends explaining that specific yeah. case. Uh, the photos are pretty upsetting, but weirdly it wasn't the most disturbing case in the, mm. in, in the book. Um, mm. Dad would occasionally just open his mouth and just things would fall out that he seemed to regret having said instantly and I'd have to sort of coax him into letting me put them in the book.
2: Yeah. So, how long was that? The, the process of interviewing him for the book. Mm,
1: we did it on and off for about six months. I would yeah, say right. um, the first few went very slowly, and then Dad started keeping uh, notes. So I told Dad to start. Okay, imagine a imagine a garbage. A garbage bin where you know you don't want to take the bin out so you just sort of compress the garbage down (laughs) so it's like this really dense lasagna of just like wafer thin layers of trash right Mm -hmm. so dad pulls it out and goes okay it's about a foot worth of stuff but when you spread it all out it's it's an ocean (laughs) so dad is laying out all these cases and um we didn't think there'd be that much at at the beginning so the first few sessions went very slowly uh and then later on he would you know call me from the middle of nowhere he'd stop by the side of the road to kind of just you know, just evangelise about this notebook that he just filled with cases, many of which we couldn't use, mm-hmm. and many of which exploded out past the confines of that final case in the book, and many of which are spilling out into what I what I want to turn into a second book, and there's just so many more yeah. stories there. But, yeah, about six months of back and forth, um, you know, some late-night revisions and some weird calls. I've got, oh, like, a gigabyte of audio files on my computer. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, actually, if there was anything that he asked you to leave out that you really wanted to put in.
1: Um, (laughs) There was nothing... There was some stuff that was just sort of run-of-the-mill. There are some stories that were great, but they don't have endings. Okay. And because I had to structure this like a narrative and I effectively tried to structure it like the Princess Bride. There's not a, Like, I seriously did. I tried to structure it with him and me. <laughs> that's
0: true. It's, there's barely any kissing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and, and instead of the grandpa... Well,
2: there is... You get around that with what he wants you to put in and yes. what you don't really want to talk about in a really good way. And that's yeah. one of my favourite chapters. Oh, great. Literary brilliance. Thank you very much. Yeah, Yeah, it's very, very Tristram Shandy, isn't it?
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did have this moment where um, we were talking about, because Dad wants Sam Neill to play him present day in the TV show, mm-hmm. which is adorable, um, and I think pretty good casting, honestly. But uh, we were talking about how we would pull off that chapter, and Dad said, oh, you would just show your face, and just slowly zoom in on your reactions as I'm telling you this, and just play, you know, um, uh, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, yeah. <laughs> just, just while it's happening, Um yeah, that chapter is, is pretty weird. They wanted that to be three or four chapters, and I'm like, no, nah, it needs to be out <laughs> on uh, pages. It needs to be out on nine pages. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and did you have to change anyone's names? Like, did you have to fudge some details? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. We had to redact a fair bit of stuff. Um, we had to change names. Uh, we had to change, change appearances because I, I, I'm i very descriptive in the book. Like, I'm mm, very, right. sp- I very specifically try and paint big, thick, Meaty caricatures of people, and so let's say somebody's tall and blonde. I'm just like they're, you know, they're five foot two. They got black hair. I changed the eye colour. Um, I changed a few suburbs where specific cases happened. Mm. Um, I changed enough so and. A lot of the time, it wasn't because these people are dangerous people. It was more a courtesy. Yeah. Right? Because lo- there's very few cases in here which are big, newspaper-worthy cases from the day. A lot of it is a character study that is told from very personal cases where it's my dad and one other person in the room. Whether that person's alive or not, I just wanted to sometimes protect their identity. Yeah. Mm. I found hair colour the most uh, simple way to do that. Um, but, yeah. I-, I had to wholesale change some people just because just, just it was the right thing to do, I think. You know? Mm. Yeah.
0: How did, it, how did you go about, change, like, transcribing a, like, long series of stories into, yeah, like a, like, it's such a readable book. It is yeah. great fun. It's really, um, accessible sounds like the wrong type of word, but it's, um, like, you just, you just can't help it and get immediately into the story. And yeah, well, I just imagine it'd be hard to be, like, yeah, confronted with, like, yeah, what did you say? Like a gig of just audio files and be like, what, how do I turn this into a book?
1: Yeah. A lot of the time I had to internalise the, uh, so I'd walk around with the files on my iPhone and just, like, listen to them over and over and over again until mm-hmm. I knew the story and then I would would tell the story on the page, and then I would take that version of the story, uh, reference it with Dad's version to make sure it was still structurally you know, intact, and it usually was, but it had a certain flair to it, and then I could build the narrative around it. Um, and there are certain parts where Dad would... Uh, n- there are certain parts where I quoted Dad word for word. There's a few chapters where it's me and Dad present day, and he's just talking at me. Those are usually verbatim, um, because it serves the narrative to do so. But yeah, sifting through was a little bit like archaeology, like I was sort of having to find the nuggets that worked and kind of move them around a little bit. Um, That was the easiest part of the process. Like transcribing is the easiest part. I I, I interview a lot of people and the transcribing process is once you know how to take the interesting bits and thread them into a kind of quilt of a narrative, then that's easy. Um, The hardest part was the edit. The hardest part was the, the edit. I, I really struggle with the edit um, mm. because I'm not used to having to kill my darlings. Yeah. <laughs> but there were a few cases. But there were four entire chapters we had to ditch for this book just because they weren't working. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the editing process was the hardest. And that's the part I'm still kind of like sore from. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was wondering if you, you went you went to the publishers and like, here's my 600-page novel. What do you feel about that? <laughs> Actually, no, what happened
1: was we, we had, I think, because the I think the book's like 270-something pages right now. Um, it was just over 300 when I submitted it. Mm-hmm. And we cut heaps and then I added more throughout the process. So I turned to Dad through, uh, I think after the second edit, and I had a few cases that we just didn't have time to put in, but they were really good. And they've turned out to be some of my favourite chapters. There's the chapter, and I'm not going to spoil anything, for readers, <laughs> but there's the chapter with the guy who you know the wrists and the hospital oh, and yes. the, uh, that chapter yeah. wasn't there until like a, th- a few weeks before we closed the door on the book there's a few chapters where I just thought we need a few more action beats and what was really <laughs> nice was I had every case with basically on, on a card with a Sherlock Holmes style name so like the case of the cardigan and the draw <laughs> yeah editor, I right? love the
2: cardigan case yeah That's thank so you funny. I really like that one but
1: like every case basically had uh, a little cute name and was laid out in a grid um, and then I had to decide which ones to put where to sort of Make the narrative flow a certain way, Mm. and there were some that just didn't make the cut in the first edit. So I got to slip some stuff back in. So you're effectively reading like the like director's cut of the book, (laughs) which is really nice.
2: And and did Dad sort of was he involved with you? Like, did you talk with him through that process? Or I mean, has he read the
1: book? And oh, he loves the book. He does. (laughs) He loves it because he has an ego the size of (laughs) Belgium. Um, But he he loved reading the book. The thing he said to me after he read the book was, "I don't know how I survived this." He sounded really kind of, he right. was kind of shell shocked. Mm. My mum cried most of the way through. Oh. And she's a hard mm. woman, but she, she's very strong, but she really struggled with some of that. But um, dad pretty much trusted me. So dad told me the stories, and then that was it. I'm like, Dad, I'm not going to – because I wanted to surprise him. I wanted to basically take the raw ingredients and then Mm. cook it into a dish and then present it to him, and he's like, I had no idea you could make this from that, if that makes sense. That's great. Yeah, so he's really enjoyed the kind of transformation. So has
2: that sort of affected your relationship now with your dad? Like has it changed with with this? Because that would have – I feel like that would have brought you both a lot closer
1: maybe or – Well, the thing is, is from an editorial standpoint, Mm. it would be a really fun – Story to say we never got along and this brought us closer together. (laughs) But I'm not going to lie. I've always liked Dad. We went through a phase when I was about 13 to 15 where I was an absolute nightmare. I was just moody playing video games and just like he and I clashed really badly. But the second I got into my late teens and 20s, Dad and I have been pretty close. Um, What I didn't realise is... Because it was always aspirational. I always saw dad off in the distance as this kind of idyllic, like heroic figure that I could never strive to be like. And suddenly, reading this, writing this book, sorry, um, <laughs> I've realized that he was just as lost in his 20s as I was. Mm, he yeah. just had a gun while he was doing it. Like, he's, <laughs> he, I was at university, you know, studying film and doing amateur theater and being way too pretentious for my own good and, you know, drinking and being an idiot. And he was like saving lives but he was just as much of a hormonal mess as i was (laughs) and these like these police officers are just people like they're just people they've just been given a job that is super high pressure and they're in a position of great responsibility and you know um i'm proud of the fact that dad never succumbed to that Mm. stuff the way dad talks about corruption incidentally Mm. he says it's basically like it's like a pathogen like you can't be a little bit corrupt you, once it's in your bloodstream, it's it's in your bloodstream. Like So his, his, he had a very like, yeah, like on or off, very binary approach to corruption. He's like, the second I take a bribe, I'm done for, yeah. so I'm just going to have to hold out as long as I can. And I think he held out about seven years and then he quit hmm. before it got to him. I don't know, because you see a lot of grizzled cops who have been in the industry for a long time and they seem to have this, like they're amazing police officers, but a lot of them are really... They've become very tainted yeah. by the job. Mm. I don't think he meant to do these jobs for, for that long. <laughs> I think I think he meant to stay in order to stay clean as a person. I think he meant to get out at a certain point, and Dad got out just in time. I think.
0: Yeah. Do you know any serving police officers or other police officers who've read the book and have you had any anyone else's opinion? Yeah, who's been in the force.
1: Yeah, Dad got um, Dad got contacted by um, a very senior uh, police officer in the New South Wales Police Force, uh, and she got in touch with Dad. Dad didn't have his number well dad's got a business card obviously and he's an antique dealer so she obviously looked him up and was like hey John uh, remember me we used to serve on the force together we went to the academy together Um, love the book and then she uh, referred to the character you know Len Beter, the Mm -hmm. character in the book Mm -hmm. so Len's a character that crops up Len is dad's first um, like, buddy so dad's first partner basically but he's a senior officer Um, and the book paints Len in a very muddy light very deliberately and she's like yeah I have stories about the Len character that you don't know about that would make your hair curl. And she, she and Dad just had this 30-minute conversation oh, where wow. she was just spilling her guts. And Dad, <laughs> yeah. Dad came to me and is like, yeah, because uh, Dad initially felt bad about the way I portrayed Len. He's right. like, no, we, we gave, him a we, we gave <laughs> him a... we basically gave him a plug. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's had a few uh, ex-cops, some of whom he served with. Mm. Um, my uh, A relative of mine has joined the police force. Um, he really enjoyed the book. He also said that... Um, Initially, he thought the police force was, you know, like completely different and after finishing the book, he's like, yeah, it's, it's a pretty close approximation. It's pretty much still like that. <laughs> yeah. Like the technology's evolved and mm-hmm. some of our, you know, sensibilities have evolved, um, but it's still, there's still those kind of grey areas, unfortunately.
0: Um, oh, sorry, I've completely looked at the wrong, my wrong question. <laughs> I forgot what oh. I was doing. Oh. Deborah, save <laughs> <laughs> Look,
2: well, while we're on Dad and yeah. the cop sort of thing, I love the portrayal. Where you re- well, where you realize that maybe dad was just a hipster buying, <laughs> buying sort of obscure vinyl, you yeah. Tangerine Dream and reading, reading the thorn birds, <laughs> ironically, although he said not, a, that yeah, he was not
1: ironic. Yeah, dad's a massive hipster. Um, Is he
2: still buying vinyl and living you know, <laughs> in share houses? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, just cinder blocks holding, holding up, <laughs> um, dad. Dad's uh, taste in pop culture rubbed off on me and informed a lot of who I am, and it's a very big thread through the book that, like, mm. Dad introduced me to a lot of the things that I like. Um, he claims not to be a hipster. He really chafed at that suggestion. <laughs> he can't grow a beard, though. I think that's the one oh. thing that he can't do, is he can't oh, grow God. facial hair. I can grow a Viking beard in about 30 minutes. Um, he's incredibly jealous of that. But, yeah, he still wants he's still into weird electronic music, and he's still, like, he... Like, he saw Interstellar before I did. He's a big Chris Nolan fan. Like, he's a massive... He's, um... He watched Stranger Things before I did. He was like, have you seen oh, the show so on Netflix? Cool. Yeah, he's super cool. Like, he's literally... A, he's the penultimate cool dad. Um, the only thing that sucks is his fashion sense, but... Um, <laughs>
0: I think it's a rule with dads.
1: Well, here's the thing. My friend... Uh, sorry, my friend. Um. Uh, my uh, My fiancée, Tegan, and I...
2: Who is also your friend. Who
1: is also my friend, yes. Um, she basically insisted that we take dad on a Queer Eye style makeover tour. (laughs) So we took dad across and we went to Jack London and we got him fitted for suits and we took him to my barber and got him hair product and we did a photo shoot. And by the end of the day... Like he was twice as stylish and handsome as I was. <laughs> and you're like, I regret everything I've done here. I sort of do because all the photos that have come out, people are like, so "Man, hot you're dad." You're, yeah, people keep saying Silver Fox, and they see, keep saying, "Tell Dad I said that." And I'm like, I'm not going to do that because he can barely. Are you listening,
2: he's, Dad? Silver Fox. He's, he's definitely
1: listening. Uh, yeah, but he's he's you know I still think he's kind of a style icon in terms of his music and now fashion as well. So, <laughs> okay.
0: right. Do you think that he embellished anything of what he told you? Like, there's this scene, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, where he delivers, like, a flying kick to get someone off a bike and it was wholly entertaining to read. And, I, then like, when I was reading, flicking through it again today, I was like, wait, did that, did that exactly happen like that?
1: Now, Dad says he jumped at him. And I said, uh, what, like, you, like, a flying kick? And Dad's like, uh, I think so, maybe. There might have been a knee in there or something. <laughs> because the adrenaline's flowing. So I'm like, I'm just going to say it's like a flying kick because I think... Because I think that sounds better. And he says, no, no, I think it may have been a flying kick. So (laughs) there's points where, during some of the action scenes, Dad will kind of zip past a certain detail and we have a discussion about it. And there's some bits where Dad actually did a thing with far more deftness, Mm. and I kind of make it sound a little less coordinated for the sake... You know what I mean? Like, Mm. um, But mum really did hit a guy over the chair, the head with a chair in the store right. you know like everything actually happened but there are certain bits where i had to kind of like if you were filming it as a as a movie i'd go can we go again but can you lean into that punch or can you you know what i mean yeah. like, like i'm basically directing the action yeah. um but yeah the flying kick was real but dad insists it was a lot messier like that, so the, the you just for just for listeners dad charges at a guy on a motorcycle who can't start the motorcycle jumps in the air hits him with his feet and they kind of tumble end over end now dad insists it was a very clean kick but i'm pretty certain it would have been an absolute mess because you can't like (laughs) first of all dad wasn't martially trained And also, he didn't like sports and he was pretty skinny, so I'm guessing he sort of just like screamed like an animal and left at the guy. Which worked. Yeah, like, right. he, you know, he got the collar. Um, although, the, after that, when he couldn't get the guy's cuffs on, that actually did happen. And, oh, but yeah, Dad did not want that in the
2: book. <laughs> Can I also shout out to Mum? Mum is oh, she's so cool. is she great? She is cool. I want a Mum book as well. Just putting it out there. Oh, I don't look- know if there's a Mum book o- happening, but I want a Mum book. I want a
1: Mum book as well. Um, <laughs> because Mum was in uh, Romeo Squad and they dealt with all the really serious um, uh, sexual crimes. So basically they're referred to as the mm-hmm. Rape Squad. Uh, and Mum would be first on the scene for any really intense stuff. Right. But, you oh. know, she rushed to go with a shotgun once. Yeah. And it went off and missed her and she, t- like, mm. her and her, like, she was a pioneer in the in the police force in New South Wales. She was one of the officers, the uh, women who pushed to have, uh, so women in the New South Wales police force in the 80s were given these demure little handbags with tiny batons. And they were uh, forced to <laughs> wear skirts. Yeah. yeah. the skirts yeah, that were nice so tight and... they couldn't run. So mum was one of the people who were fundamentally getting the uniforms changed. Mm. Um there was
2: the gun in the handbag. I remember um, Christine Nixon mentioned that as yeah, well. Yeah, she did, yeah, at a, the tw- Nick, Kelly at Nick Kelly Awards. The you know, being given a little ha- a gun and it was in a handbag. It's and, mental. Yeah.
1: Mm. It's crazy. And the baton that is so small that Mum said they didn't even take it with them because if a bad guy is, you know, nine inches away from you, the baton's not going to do any good, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? So, yeah, uh, Mum went through some stuff as well. Mum's not a show-off, though, so I really... If I was going to do a book <laughs> about Mum, <laughs> I would have to really convince her. <laughs> There's definitely a book in there, though. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, You were just saying about the seriousness of her job and uh, there's something in Deb and I, we, we try not to discuss a lot of what we're talking about here so that we, you know, can come here with a fresh idea. But yes. the one thing that we both talked about when we were um, downstairs was mm. the heaviness of one particular moment. Um, it involves a train. I kind of don't want to say too Trek much more. Work. Yeah, yeah, because it was such, it was like such a heavy moment for yeah. me that I put the book down and yeah. I was like, I just need to go walk around my house, remind myself that I'm not there, That's that I'm in the <sighs> present, yeah. Yeah. my daughter's still yeah. alive, factor her a few times, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, how was it writing something like
1: that? That's my favourite chapter, actually, because yeah. I I really enjoy writing that chapter. I know it upset my mum specifically, but what happened very naturally whilst writing the book was a narrative arc about fathers and children sort of emerged. Mm-hmm. So it's a book written by a, <laughs> by a son about his dad who are talking about the process of writing the book whilst a father is also becoming a dad. And then just accidentally, just by sheer coincidence, encountering parents and their children in various states of distress mm. um and when dad told me that case uh he told it to me when i was actually at that point in the book so i yeah. didn't realize that was coming mm. so he was like do you want me to tell you a case it's about the train and it's got like a kind of father-daughter thing um and that i really enjoyed writing that um i love writing sad stuff because it's sort of it's i, I just i enjoyed steeping in it i enjoyed mm. just kind of like living in that scene uh, also Dad and I went on a crime scene, recce, So we actually drove around. Mm, right. so, the, so I went to the house from the witch. Mm. Uh, Dad wanted me to climb the fence. Uh, I said <laughs> no. You're you're an ex-cop. You should know better. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. I did snap a few photos over the over the fence. But yeah, we just um just so I could describe mm. it. So like when I'm actually describing the house, I'm describing the house. Um, the train station. We actually pulled up at the exact spot where Dad jumped the fence to get across under the train, where mm. the where this where the crime scene was. Um, That was really intense. It was easy to write, given that I'd been there. Yeah, okay. It was really great being able to describe like Dad climbing up the gravel kind of verge and hopping the fence when I'd actually stood Mm it, you know, near Mm -hmm. that fence. I think that was the best part for me. Was there was a real sense of place. Um, But that specific chapter was, uh, I don't know, it didn't it didn't upset me. Okay. I sort of I sort of felt it's I sort of I found it very peaceful. I think it works really well
2: in the way the book is written because it's really fast-paced and there's a lot of humour oh, and there's a lot, lots of going on. And then as the book goes on, you, you start to sort of go a bit deeper into that and it gets a bit darker yeah. and there's, you know, and, and very real. And I think it just really worked, you know, really well there. Thank you very much. And I mm. cannot
1: tell you how, like, deeply stoked I am that people seem to be enjoying the book because... The first thing I did when I got it was just pick it up and just honk a big sniff because like the smell of the the smell of your book like that is it's like I I, I've never because like that new baby smell are kind of equal for me, (laughs) Um, but it was really nice actually having uh, mum and dad tell me how much they they liked it because I was so nervous. Because basically, I was taking again the raw materials of what they what they'd been through and just turning it into a thing, and to actually see that they liked the thing. But the one the chapter that resonated with the most was the train yeah, chapter. Yeah, yeah.
0: It is. Um. Even though it's a book that like it's, it's very funny, it's got so these full on moments. I have to say, it's really it's full of so much love. Like the yeah. love that your dad feels for you, and you feel for him, and like and oh, mum and dad, their relationship oh, is beautiful. Right, just everyone, <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is so grim, and I love it. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> so so every family's I just wanted to.
1: I basically wanted to because. Dad doesn't read much because of his attention span. So, I wanted to write a book that, that dads can read. Yeah. yeah. And not like, I'm not, to, it doesn't talk down. Like, I tried to no, write think- as dense and as smart as I could, but I wanted to write something that, like, you could just chew through and feel good about it. And I also genuinely believe that love is transformative and I think it's really important. I think families are really important. Mm. So, I just wanted to write something that was ostensibly super positive and super optimistic because dad's optimistic. Mm. And when he's not optimistic, it's the job of other members of the family to pull him up, like mum or me. So, um, I think what I tried to do is take some of the sadder moments in his life and do that and make them positive, you know.
2: I, I think we it... basically want to be adopted by your family. Yeah, no, no, right? I mean, really, <laughs> he's got room in his house for
0: more. Yeah, he's got a spare room. Yeah. Um, I did actually. the One thing that I found very optimistic about, like you said, because it is an optimistic book. Because when I went back to it again, yeah. like over the past couple of days, I'm like better flick through, make sure because I read it a few months ago when oh. I reviewed it, and um, I was like, look at all these dog-eared pages. Clearly, I've got a lot of great ideas in here that I'll be able to use, and they were all just one-liners. <laughs> 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 I was like, that was funny. This is unhelpful, and it's always, this is a great line too. Oh, uh, so, it's kind. Yeah, yeah, I really. <laughs> I
1: wanted to because comedy is my background and I wanted to try and make it funny but also people in the emergency services it, it might seem grisly to people outside those industries but some of the only ways you yeah, can cope like, with stuff you know. is gallows humour yeah. basically because you got to like dad would talk about crime scenes where they were sitting there after a morning of investigating dead bodies at like mass murders and they're sitting there eating their sandwiches just surrounded by corpses <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> You gotta, I guess you gotta eat, right? Yeah. And he said they're not. He said like you gotta stop thinking of these people as people. Mm. The only way you can actually engage with the crime and help anyone because your job is to help is to actually disengage and just go. That's just a pile of stuff, and you can engage with it later if you want when you meet the parents or whatever. But you can't. You can't get upset by it. You can't connect with it. And I think that's why Dad really struggled in his early days because he's just such a nice guy. Mm, And watching a nice guy try and turn his emotions off and fail and realize that good police can keep those on and try and. Keep those on to help people. You
0: know. Um. What, what what kind of things? So, what are you reading or watching at the moment? Oh,
1: Christ! We we'll go
0: with watching. <laughs> watching. Um.
1: I am currently. I've just started The Americans, which I'm really enjoying. I'm going through a major, uh, like Cold War spy jag. So I'm uh I'm reading all the um Smiley or the um books that Lacare wrote. Oh yeah. I think I'm kind of. Because when I was a kid, people uh, made fun of me because they thought Dad was a spy because of his career changes, (laughs) and I think that always stuck, and part of me is still convinced that I'll lean on a bookshelf somewhere, it'll pop open with a hiss, and there'll be, you know, like, uh, night vision goggles and, And you know, (laughs) rubber masks.
2: (laughs) Did you get the Thornbirds gene as well? Because I know both your parents (laughs) were reading the Thornbirds. my Thornbirds was (laughs) Peyton Place. I ironically Uh read Peyton Place,
1: like, in clear sight of everything. It was a vintage (laughs) copy, too. I was a real piece of work. Um, But no, I'm basically going through a massive spy uh, thing at the moment. Anything spy-related. I just really want to be a spy. And I make a terrible spy and I make a terrible police officer. Um, I'm a big comic book reader. I just finished this great, this really great manga series called 20th Century Boys, um, which I recommended. I was at Ben Law's Book Club last year and I recommended it to everybody there and now they're all reading it. But it's this multi-part series that I just... Is it okay to come on a book podcast and talk about comics? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm a major... I'm a a very big comic book buff. Um, I'm reading Alan Moore's America's Best Comics at the moment. Uh, I think when it's good, comic book storytelling can beat almost anything. But I'm a big believer in narrative as narrative. Mm, Like, good storytelling is good regardless of what medium it's in. Video games... Have some of the best storytelling I've ever I've ever been into. I'm a big Murakami fan, and I'm, my mum and I are big Murakami buffs. So we kind of share notes. Um, we just both did Kafka on the Shore, which is great. I love mm. that book. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, and mum and dad, again, really well travelled, super hipsters. What? Oh yeah, <laughs> went to Japan without telling me and brought me back a bunch of lithographs. Just like, hey, you, we bought you some sake oh. from this distillery, like, <laughs> like limited <laughs> limited, limited I run so sake. So want to be adopted by your nice. ex. <laughs> Yeah, they're super cool. They're super cool. Um, they spent half their year over uh, uh, in thailand as well they have a house over in thailand so we went over to visit them and they're just like trying weird food and wearing weird clothes and they're just again i'm never going to be as cool as them so the <laughs> least i can do is is show the world how cool they are and show the world what it's like to have parents like mine and you know kind of boast about them a little bit and i think i think i did that with this book
0: mm, they're yeah. very aspirational yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, so thanks everyone for listening today. You have been listening to Paul F. Verhoeven. I just had to really make sure I included the F in there because I kept Googling you and being like, wait, that's not you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did S. know that. You nailed it. <laughs> um, and thank you for discussing your book, Loose Units, which is, of course, a, a kind of a story, a bit of a memoir, a bit of true crime about your father's life in the police force in the yeah. early 80s, late, late 70s. Around uh, early then. 80s, yeah, about 80
1: to 84 ish, I think. Yeah. Okay,
0: cool. And, and that's available from all of our reading stores, apart from Reading's Kids, obviously, hopefully not <laughs> on that show. We, could, uh, we could get them in Yarn. Right. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Stick it in Junior Fiction with a chapter box. See how they all go. Yeah. Uh, you can stream previous episodes of the Readings podcast and our website, readings.com.au, where you'll also find news, reviews, and interviews and, and information on our current book, music, and DVD releases. And you can even sign up to our newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Paul. (laughs) We'll see you later.